This is Queen Victoria. Welcome to Murder Lab, the podcast where I don't just discuss one serial killer, I discuss several serial killers and what they have in common. Today is a special Mother's Day edition. I was going to start the next series of Families Who Kill Together, but I thought it might be fun to talk about people who have killed their moms. Now, I was going to discuss specifically serial killers who had killed their moms, but surprisingly enough, there really aren't that many. I was only able to pinpoint two serial killers who had actually killed their moms. Although there are a whole bunch that had mommy issues that drove them to kill other people, I guess only two of them decided to just go ahead and get rid of mommy herself. So this is more in the true crime general realm of just people who killed their mom and maybe they just killed their mom, maybe they killed other people. In most cases, they killed other people and not just their mom. We're going to jump into it. I found on Wikipedia a page that was just matricide and it gives examples of people who killed their mom. So most of this is from that. I did on each of these, I did cross-reference and check at least two or three other articles to make sure the data was accurate. I'm not going to go real in-depth because there's quite a few, surprisingly enough, but I did at least double-check the sentence or two of fact that I have because you never know with Wikipedia. It is done chronologically, so we're going to start in 1955. Jack Gilbert Graham killed his mother along with 43 people by planting a dynamite bomb in his mother's suitcase. He did not just want to kill his mom. It had to be a grand thing, and he did not care if other people were on there. He just figured it was their time to go. So he actually put, I think, 25 sticks of dynamite in her suitcase. And obviously this is way before the TSA was, uh, you know, checking to make sure you didn't have more than, you know, a certain amount of shampoo in a bottle or whatever. He was able to put a time bomb on a plane and unfortunately killed a total of 44 people, including his mother. That is a hell of a mommy issue. He did actually also take out uh, insurance on her as well, which is one of the reasons that, that things were pinpointed to him. I found a couple really interesting articles on it I will post on my references page so you can read more information. It is uh, quite interesting. There's one that is actually shows how the FBI went through step by step to determine what actually happened because the explosion was much bigger than they had than that it would have been something on board. It was obvious there was something someone put on it. So I will post those. So that was Jack Gilbert Graham. Next in the timeline is actually Henry Lee Lucas, the serial killer. In 1960, he got into an argument with his mom. He wound up slashing her in the neck. She fell down and ended up dying of a heart attack. He claimed it was self-defense, but if you know anything about Henry Lee Lucas, we also know it is hard to tell when that man is telling any kind of truth. So we do know he did admit that he did that. There was evidence she was stabbed in the neck. And so we do know he did at least kill his mom. Eventually, I will do an episode specifically on people's mothers and their um, experiences with their mothers. It's very interesting. She was a prostitute and she would have sex apparently with her clients in front of him. And his dad didn't have legs. It was a whole thing. So you can look forward to hearing about that one. That may be the next Mother's Day episode will be the mother issues and the experience with their mothers. Sometimes when you hear how their mothers acted, it's really not necessarily surprising that they wound up being serial killers. Next up is Charles Whitman, who may sound familiar because he killed his mother and wife before going on his killing spree at the University of Texas at Austin that killed 14 people and wounded 31 others as part of the shooting rampage from the observation deck of the university's administrative building on August 1st, 1966. Next is 
Anthony Beckland, who stabbed his mother to death. Barbara Daly Beckland on November 11th, 1972. She had allegedly forced him to have sex with her in order to cure his homosexuality. Apparently there is a book and a movie called Savage Grace based on this event. You're not really doing your kid any favors if you're trying to cure them by having sex with them. So we're going to go forward with the next serial killer that we know killed his mom. Serial killer Edmund Kemper III beat his mother to death in 1973, along with one of his mother's friends, before turning himself into the police. It was actually on Good Friday. He went to his mother's home. They got into an argument. After she went to sleep, he attacked her with a hammer and then cut her throat with a knife. He decapitated her, put her head on a mantle, yelled at her for a while, then used it as a dartboard. He removed her larynx and tongue and put them down the garbage disposal, but it spit them back up, which he felt was appropriate because she was always bitching at him in life. It is interesting to note that he had been killing co-eds, but then once he killed his mother, he was done. So then he turns himself in. So that's an interesting case where you wonder, not condoning it by any means, but if they would just kill the source of what was making them kill other people, it might save lives. But I don't want people to kill their moms. I think therapy is a great idea. There are, there are other avenues to take. But it is interesting to see that out of all these people that have mother issues and went out to kill other people, that there's one serial killer that made a point to definitely kill his mom. Like, Henry Lucas, it was apparently an accident. Maybe he did it in the heat of the moment and we're not, we won't ever really know. But Kemper actually waited till she was asleep. So he had time to stew and think about it. He had time to come to his senses and realize I don't have to kill my mom. But instead, he took that time and used it to find the hammer and decided to just go ahead and kill her. So it was definitely a planned event. I think we're all familiar with the Amityville horror. Well, what what I did not know until, surprise, the last podcast on the left made me aware, is apparently that was inspired by Ronald DeFeo Jr. killed his parents and four siblings in that house. So I'll um, I'll put up the link to that, and that's something that I do also want to look into some more. And what's I have noticed that in some of my serial killer reference books, like the cat, not the catalogs, it's the catalogs for serial killers, the encyclopedias for serial killers. They have some of them actually do put Ronald DeFeo Jr. as a serial killer since he did kill what six people. So um, if I remember correctly. I believe they also implicated his sister or something in it. But but again, I encourage you to look more into that. And um, I'm, I will also include that in a later episode as well. Ronald DeFeo Jr., the Amityville Horror House. Bradford Bishop allegedly bludgeoned his mother, spouse, and three children to death with a sledgehammer in 1976. This one is particularly interesting. Jim Gordon was a session musician who played drums with Eric Clapton's band Derek and the Dominoes, Beach Boys, Tom Petty, many more famous musicians. He actually bludgeoned his mother with a hammer and then stabbed her to death with a butcher's knife in 1983. And when I asked Todd if he recognized the name Jim Gordon and Derek and the Dominoes, his first question was, well, was he involved with Layla? And it turns out that he co-wrote Layla. He apparently had mental disorders and some of his uh one of his bandmates had mentioned that jim gordon had mentioned to him something about hearing voices and so um that is a sad sad story indeed 
I found an article in Rolling Stone about it, so I will post some of those links up so you can get some more information on that. In 1986, Campo Elias Delgado shot his mother to death, covered her with newspapers and set her body on fire, walked down his hallway in his apartment building, killed six neighbors that happened to answer their door. Then he strolled down the street to a restaurant for dinner, ate his dinner, paid his tab, shot 21 of the fellow diners to death, and then apparently the police came and he was shot in the ensuing battle. So that is, uh, yeah, that's an interesting one that he was, again, it's, it's where you see someone who is able to disassociate themselves, do this violent act, and still be able to eat. So it's reminiscent of, if you listen to my Jerry Brudos episode, Brudos would, you know, kidnap them, then either when they were dead or they were, you know, hanging in his garage, he would just go eat and then he'd come back and, you know, do his business. But it is, it is interesting to me how people can distance themselves like that and how it obviously isn't, they're able to compartmentalize. So even um, Leonard Lake and Charles Zang, Charles Zang would make a comment like, oh, you know, Lake would be in there raping a woman and I would go make some rice for me to eat. Next up is Susan Cabot, 1950s actress, was beaten to death with a weightlifting bar by her son, Timothy Roman. That reminds me of Jeffrey Dahmer killed his first victim by striking him in the head and strangling him with a barbell. An interesting twist is that later in prison, another inmate actually kills Dahmer with a bar from the prison weight room. Poetic justice indeed. Peter London strangled his mother in 1991, and his father helped bury her. Then, after serving his prison sentence, he moved to Denmark, where he murdered his girlfriend and her two children. Well, I was going to say he's not about family values, but his dad did help him cover the mom's death. So like anything, it's not necessarily black and white. There's some grays in there. Most of you probably recognize the Menendez brothers who were convicted during a highly publicized trial in July 1996 for the shotgun killings of their parents in 1989. That is a very interesting case indeed. Last podcast on the left covers it. And it is not the last case we will see where siblings kill their parents together. Next up is Brett Reeder, a 15-year-old boy in Omaha, Nebraska, who stabbed his mother to death during a dispute in 1993. 1994, Aaron Brown, an Indiana resident who at the age of 18 sat in wait with a shotgun until his parents came home one night, and as his mom walked to the door, he blasted her with a shotgun. He shot at his stepfather and missed, but eventually gunned him down. The good news is he then drove himself to the juvenile detention center. So he pulled a Kemper. So I guess if you're going to do something, at least turn yourself in afterwards. Luke Woodham from Mississippi killed his mother in June 1997 before killing two more and wounding seven others in the Pearl High School shooting. Then the next year, Kip Kinkle shot his dad. Then when his mom came home, he shot her. Then he got all his equipment, drove to Thurston High School where he was a student. He killed two students and injured 25 more. This is also interesting to see that there are two school shootings in a row here where they start by killing their mom or their parents before going on to kill, which makes me wonder how many instances of school shootings did they kill their parents first? Because in my, from what I can think of, I can't think of any of off the top of my head where they killed their parents first. It's usually they go and do the killings and the parents are like either what the fuck or, you know. So maybe that's something I'll cover in the future is how many targeted their families before they targeted the school. 
In 2000, Dr. Kathleen Hagen, a prominent urologist, smothered her mother and her father in August 2000 and was acquitted on the grounds of insanity. I read a little bit more about this, and they did interview one of her friends that show that said that she had been really good. Everything was going pretty well. She did have some mental issues that she was working through, and then all of a sudden she deteriorated, and she claims that when she smothered her parents, it was because a voice told her that it was going to help them. Another example of siblings killing a parent is Jasmia Kanisha Whitehead and Tasmia Janisha Whitehead, identical twins who were convicted in 2014 for the murder of Nikki Whitehead, their mother. They got into a fight with her and stabbed her and then put her in a tub where she drowned. That's another one where I read an article and it was quite interesting where they originally claimed that they'd come home and found their mom killed and then it comes out that they actually had done it. Again, I will post a link so you can read some more about that because that is an interesting case. Jennifer Pan staged a home invasion that led to the November 8th, 2010 murder of her mother. Her father had been shot too, but he survived. This is intriguing because it's a case of, I want to do things my parents don't want me to do. So I'm going to hire people to kill them so I can do what I want to do. It's that old chestnut. I mean, I'm sure that, I'm sure it's not uncommon for kids to maybe have it pop in your brain. Like, oh, if they weren't around, I'd do what I want. But to see someone actually go through with it, it's mind-bottling, as he says on Blades of Glory. Tyler Hadley killed his mother and father with a hammer in 2011. Another school shooting. Here's one where Adam Lanza shot and killed his mother, along with 20 children, six other adults, and then himself on December 14th in 2012 at the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. So there's another one where we see the mother got involved in the school shooting. The last one that I have for you is October 2014, a Danish 15-year-old, Lisa Borsch, and her 29-year-old Iraqi boyfriend, Bakhtiar Mohammed Abdullah, were convicted of stabbing her mother 20 times. That is some, uh, that is some anger to stab someone 20 times. And one thing I read that they couldn't tell which one of them actually did all the stabbing if they took turns stabbing who stabbed the most. Another article said that Lisa stabbed her mother 20 times. So either way, that's a lot of stabbing. During this research, I happened upon an article, an article about mothers who have sons that killed. And Lori Noble said that her 27-year-old son, Jeffrey, had shown her a video of a naked corpse on his cell phone and said he'd killed the man. She says, I didn't want to believe it, but I knew it was real. On top of that, her son wasn't upset about it. Not only did she help the police locate and arrest him, she testified against him. She called her son a monster. This happened in 2015. For those of you who listened to the episode with Mark Dutroux, I did mention that in that episode that his mother had been calling the police to say, my son's doing this criminal activity, he should be locked up. And I had commented that it was surprising because a lot of these times you see the mothers that are defending their sons or blind. They defend them or they are blind to it. They don't, they can't handle seeing that their kid could be that way. I will also include links to some fun articles I happened upon like Parenting advice from the mothers of serial killers. That's a fun one. There is also the article Mothers of Murderers, where they interview different mothers of murderers. 
pretty self-explanatory. So I guess I don't really need to go too much into what the article is about. I did recognize the woman who wrote it is Catherine Ramsland, PhD. I do have several of her books in my collection. If you would like more information on serial killers who hated their mothers, you can read an article with that title. I will post that link. And it does, of course, include Ed Kemper. So there will be a lot of links that I will be posting in case you would like to do some more digging into some of these. Mother's Day while in quarantine could be good or bad, depending on your circumstance, I suppose. You're either stuck in your house with your mother or you're not anywhere around your mother. For those of you stuck in the house with your mother, if you need to go take a walk, if you start feeling like you would want to put 25 sticks of dynamite in her suitcase and blow her up on a plane, or you would like to use her head as a dartboard and pull a Kemper on her, don't do that. Just take a break. Call someone. Don't kill your mom on Mother's Day or, you know, any other time, but especially Mother's Day. Maybe make it one of your quarantine goals not to kill your mom. That would be a feather in your cap. If you're a mother and you're not around your child, you can take solace in the fact they can't kill you because they're not around you. That's enough for this special Mother's Day episode. Next time, I will begin the series of families that have killed together. I will begin with Joseph Callinger and his son, Michael Callinger. For more information, you can go to MurderLabMedia.com. Murder Lab is available on iTunes, Google Play, and you can find the RSS feed, if you so wish, on the website. You're not really doing your kid any favors if you're trying to cure them by having sex with them.